We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. And here he comes. Uh-oh. Listen to the crowd. They're giving the football to Perry. Touchdown. Uh, William Perry spikes the football. And this crowd loves it. They will write songs about William Perry. They're still talking about that team. And why wouldn't you? The greatest day in Bears history in the modern era. I wasn't around when they beat Washington 73 to nothing to win the old NFL championship. But uh, a lot of us were around to watch the Bears smash the Patriots in Super Bowl 20 35 years ago today by a final of 46 to 10. And for those of you who weren't around and are tired of hearing about the 85 Bears, shame on you because I know you're frustrated about what's happening with the Bears right now, but you should never take it out on the guys that helped win the championship during the 1985 season as dominant a single season as we've ever seen in the National Football League. Zach, I've been with you until 9 o'clock, and I bring it up not only because it's the anniversary of that terrific game, but because my next guest played a huge role in that game, talking about center Jay Hilgenberg, who joins us now on the Alphamonte Nissan Hotline. Alphamonte Nissan in Melrose Park on North Avenue or APNissan.com. Jay, good evening. Does it ever get old celebrating that wonderful night? Wow. I, I think it does now to make me think that uh, you weren't around 35 no, years. No, I was around. I was around. Oh, I watched it. Oh, it scared. was awesome. <laughs> All right. You scared me. Man, I was thinking, I thought you were older than that. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a great thing. It, it, it is. It's uh I talked to Mike Tomzak today, and of course, had my daily call with Tom. I, I talked to him too. So <laughs> we, we, we talked about uh, we talked about the football, and um, uh, there was a group uh, text uh, chat going on around with Hamp and all the defensive guys uh, complaining about who got the MVP. So that was pretty funny to to, to witness. So uh, the, the, those guys were having fun with it. So now it's a great group of guys i can't believe it's 35 years it's uh it's it's been two times going too fast zach how did it change your life oh you know i don't know how how much it it changed my life i mean you know i think as an athlete it's one of those things that they say you know you win a championship they, they can never take it away from you uh and that, that that's true you know when you're playing you don't really think about it, it it's it was a uh, one season in, in a career, you know, I wanted to win uh, many Super Bowls. So, you know, I was, uh, I was relatively young. I was uh, 27 years old. And um, so I was uh, anticipating, and I'm sure like, you know, all the, all the frustrated bear fans out there around Chicagoland, we were all anticipating a, uh, a lot more Super Bowls, but we had some strong teams. We had, we had a lot of good years after that, but uh, we just couldn't um, manage to put it together in the playoffs. 
talking with seven-time Pro Bowl center Jay Hilgenberg, who was part of the 85 team that won the championship in such dominant fashion 35 years ago today at Super Bowl Twenty down in New Orleans against the Patriots. What's the lesson that that you give to other people? Because you just mentioned it. When you won back on this day 35 years ago, you probably thought, like you just said, that it would be the first of multiple championships and the multiple championships that never occurred. What's the, the message that you take out of that? Uh, just you got to you got to go for the day, the, the, the moment you're in and go for that day. And um, just uh, I suppose that's about it. So, you know, just uh, you can't. You can't wait for the next year. How you know? You know we'll be better next year. Um, it's it, it's all about uh, it's all about in the now, in in, in athletics and um, so I know we we had a great group of guys. We had a lot of we had a lot of energy. I think the thing that really carried over is is that our '84 team, and when we went to in the RFK and beat Washington. Um, at RFK, that was the first time that they ever were beaten in the playoffs at, at home in, in, in their history. And so that was a huge win for us. I, and I remember um, that championship game in 84 then. I think we were like 12, 13-point underdogs. And I'm thinking, there's no way that we're going to – there's no way that's possible. And they beat us 23-zip. So – uh, they put a pounding on us, and uh, that that was a, I think that was a real eye opener. It was an eye opener for me, and um, I think that off season everybody was ready to go. And you know, one thing I'd like to add also is is is, is this, this: there's no question. Without Mike Dick as our head coach, I don't think we would have won the Super Bowl. He it was it, you know it, it took Buddy Ryan and our defense. You know, have a fabulous defense. We had a, we had an outstanding offense, but Mike Dicka was the driving force behind the just the to, the will to 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 win, the the wanting to win, uh, and how he drove the team, and just every day how he was there, just driving the machine. And, and you know, he did it. He did it how who he is, and he was authentic and real. And uh, it was he was an exciting guy to be around. You know, at times it was tough and tense, but. Um, if you came in every day prepared and ready to uh, to perform, um, he had no problem with you. Do you gain that appreciation after you're done playing for how difficult Ditka made life for you guys on a daily basis? Or is it something that at the time you knew? Well, yeah. I mean, I went through some like difficult times with uh, Coach. There's no question about it. We got into it a couple times, but um, you know, I come from such a football family, and you know, my uncle played uh, 16 years in the NFL and started four Super Bowls for the Vikings. So, I mean, and you know, he played against Dick, uh, my, my Wally Hilgenberg. I mean, he tackled both. This is a good one. He, he tackled both Gail Sayers and Walter Payton in, in his career. Wow. So um, I, I have respect for, you know, coaches. I have respect for the older players. And, and our, our offense at the Bears, they are often, I mean, they were all ex-players. Uh, Mike Dicka, the, the, head, the head coach, you know. Um, 
Ed Hughes was our offensive coordinator. He was a defensive back in the NFL. Dick Stanfield, our offensive line coach, Hall of Fame offensive lineman. Johnny Rowland, the running back coach, he, he played for the, a great running back for the Cardinals. So they, they, they knew what we were going through. And it, it was a different era. There was, it was very physical, a lot of hitting. Uh, so they, they allowed us to have a lot of fun also. I want to go back to the start of the 85 season. When did you know that there's something really special here, that this is going to be a season unlike any other? Oh, I think just at the very starting, it, it kind of got a little crazy right at the beginning. Um, McMahon was kind of really out of control. We, we, I think the year before, we, we started getting all these mopeds and stuff like that. We upgraded the mopeds, and I think that's when McMahon shaved his head and all this punky QB stuff was coming out and and I think Platteville was kind of the big kickoff for us up there because we 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 kind of um, we they, they kind of uh, put the the gates down for us at, at times in Platteville. And we had we had some good times up up in Platteville as a team. It's a real team bonding uh, uh, camp up there. So when when we came back, uh, just right off the bat, that first game of the year, um, I think we were down by Tampa Bay, and we came back. At, and uh, scored a couple touchdowns to to get ahead. And then the, the big game was um, there was a couple of big games when the Minnesota game when uh, Jim McMahon came in and threw the touchdown passes uh, against the Vikings. And then the next week, I don't know if it was the next week or the the week after that. And when we went back out to San Francisco after they beat us the year before in that championship game, twenty three to zip. And uh, we, we, we put a, a real physical uh, beating on, on the 49ers that day. And that, that's, that's, when, that, that's when there was a lot of belief and we started rolling. And then the defense really, that, that bear defense just started really taking off and putting the fear uh, in, in quarterbacks. And it, it was something to watch. We're reminiscing 35 years ago tonight. The Bears won Super Bowl 20, 46 to 10 over the New England Patriots. And Jay Hilgenberg was the man in the middle for the Bears offensively. Their center, he would finish his career as a seven-time Pro Bowl player. But it didn't start that way. You know, when you started in the National Football League, you made the squad because you were an outstanding long snapper. You were not a, a, a part of the rotation you were the long snapper, and to go right. from that to, to getting your – and that was back in 1981. Then by 1983, Bears are, are struggling somewhat early on in the year. I, I think they were 3-7 and seven over the first 10 games of the year. You get an opportunity to start kind of at the halfway point, and then the Bears finish strong 5-1. and one. Did you feel as though you played – an important role in in helping build some momentum at the end of that season and spearheading what would happen in 1984. Yeah, it, it's kind of funny you mentioned that because it's it's kind of like Sam Mustafer, um, uh, the, the whole thing with him. You know, he's a free agent out of college, and I um, I started that we were three and five the, in 1983, the first um, eight games of the year, and then I started. Mm-hmm the last eight games and that that last game in 1983 was either we were going to go four and four or five and three in that stretch with me at center. And I just remember that game to me personally being so huge for me 
that I got to, I want to prove that the Bears have a winning record with me at center. And it uh, ended up being like one of the coldest games in, I think, Bears history. It was, I think it was uh, Bart Starr's last game he coached. He was fired afterwards. But, uh, yeah, we won the game. So, yeah, that that, that was important. It's, it's important. Uh, every game to a pro, and especially, you know, uh, college free agents were – you know, in the organization, there's there's not a lot of guys that that really really believe in you that that you know have your back. So every time a college free agent gets an opportunity out there, um, they have to take advantage of it. And that's why you know I, I I keep thinking about your story, and and then you mentioned Sam Mustafer right at the start. That was the the first thing you mentioned after I asked you that question because as I was watching the Bears. After the bye week, they kind of found something in terms of the lineup because the injuries and the poor play, they had so many different shuffling in and out of different people at different spots on the offensive line. It felt like they finally found something in the middle. When you look at, at Mustafer and you look at Whitehair playing on the left side, uh, James Daniels coming back this offseason season. Should we believe that the Bears do have some answers, Alex Bars, what he was able to do? Do you feel like you can work with what you've got now if you add another tackle to the mix? Uh, yes, yeah, I, I believe you can. Um, I, I think it's important that uh, I, I just really hope there's a camp for these guys uh, next year. I, there's, I think, uh, some more growing pains. I just wish the uh, the playoff game would have been just a they would have had a little more success in, in, in that uh, for it to, to come into this next season but um, I, I like you know what I like I, I like I like the relationship that they have and they're like how Sam and Alex played college ball uh, with each other and um, I mean that that's what reminds me of uh, myself and Mark Bortz I mean he was a defensive lineman but I mean you have that 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 relationship that going on. So, you know, those guys, the communication is going to be, it's going to be easy to communicate. There's a lot of things you can, a lot of calls that you have to get up there and just, you don't want to repeat the same call all the time. So you can just say anything and the guy knows you're talking to him. Just, just really kind of simple stuff like that. It, it, it does help out during games. Our final few moments talking with Jay Hilgenberg here on the score 35th anniversary of the big Super Bowl 20 win for the 85 bears. And, I think when you look ahead, and you mentioned it earlier about how we don't know if you're going to have a full offseason. They've already canceled the combine, which leads you to believe that we may have a limited offseason in the National Football League, and you may only get started at training camp like they did this past season, which I think is going to make it very difficult if you're adding a whole bunch of new pieces from an offensive standpoint, and trying to get everybody on the same page. You know, I know the Bucks were able to do it, but that's Tom Brady, and right, he right. is a rare breed. <laughs> Everyone else, I think, had a lot of difficulty putting that together, with the exception of maybe Justin Herbert in, uh, in L.A. with the Chargers, but they did not have a good year overall. I, I think when, when you look at the Bears, how important is it to identify properly who you are, who you want to be, in order to be able to be the kind of team that complements that defense? Well, I, I think that that's what you, you, you have, you have to be that. I mean, you, you have to know where your strengths and weaknesses are. Um, so the ability to, to go out there and put a, a 
a top product on the on the field. I, it's always kind of interesting. I mean, you, you get a, a head coach that uh, early in his uh, career, early in his contract, he's gonna he's gonna jam his system. It's gonna be this way, this way. But then after, if you don't have any success and you're coming down to like the last year, you, you they start adjusting pretty quickly to you know something else or to the. What's the strength? As, as you're saying, the strengths, and it appears right now that the offensive strength what the Bears ended up doing is the run game and play action. And um, you know, hey, a lot of teams have won a lot of Super Bowls over the years with a, a strong run game and a good play action game. And so, yeah, it's gonna. I tell you, the, the off season is is just almost as exciting nowadays as uh, the the regular season, just to anticipate the moves they're gonna do and and, and what's gonna happen and and see if the Bears can better their, themselves this year. They, they have a lot of big questions to answer, so it's going to be exciting to see what they do. All right, I've got a, a few more questions about the 85 season before I ask you for what you think is going to happen in Super Bowl 55 in a couple of weeks. So well, we often hear that down in New Orleans, it was crazy. It was crazy the week leading up to the big game. It was crazy during the game, obviously, and it was crazy after what are your memories of the week in New Orleans leading up to Super Bowl twenty? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the, the first night, the first night we got down there, we a big group of us guys went out and we stayed out way too late, and we the, you know the whole <laughs> thing hit, hit all hit, we, we hit all the spots, and and I, I remember coming back to the 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 we were I think staying at the Riverwalk Hilton um, right there by the Mississippi River and. And I just remember coming back, and we're in this big room, uh, McMahon and I, and there's like a all this food, this buffet, this food, and everything like that. And it, it, you know, it's early in the morning; it's like two o'clock in the morning, something like that. And this food's all laid out there. We're just in there. We start make uh, ruckus, making this noise, and this guy walks out of this door and says, "Hey, uh, guys, um, this is this is this is going to age me saying this." He goes, "Hey, guys, this is a uh, uh, Mr. Hope." Bob Hope's sweet, and uh, you you've woken him <laughs> up, and, and he wants you guys to leave. <laughs> so we said, so, no, "We're not leaving. Bring him out." So <laughs> he, he, he never came out, though. <laughs> and but, then, uh, but that, that, uh, other than that, um, you know, I I I um, I I studied a lot of tape or a lot of film uh, that that week. I just this that game, my uncle starting four Super Bowls and play, I mean, playing in four Super Bowls and uh, not winning any of any of them. I, I really, really wanted to win this game for, for, you know, not only the, all the great bear fans, but for, for my family also. And it goes back to what you were saying earlier, Hilgi, about how when you are in a position to do something special, you got to seize that moment. And you guys definitely did. 35 years ago tonight. Cool. So after spending all week studying, right? And you know, what you guys right. did didn't happen by accident. How did you how did you celebrate? What did you guys do after you left the Superdome? How how did you guys go about celebrating? Uh, we just went we went back to the uh the hotel and I, I remember I did a, a live uh interview on CBS with uh, back to Chicago with uh, Bill Murray, 
How about that? I was. That's. Cool. I did a, li- a li- live shot with him, and uh, just had uh, the, the Bears threw a, a little party for us at the hotel, and uh, my family was there, and you know, had pictures and and everything like that. So, it, it was nice. It was it was a it was a it was a nice uh, nice party. I, I was really kind of looking forward to it because I had gone to a couple of my uncles postseason Super Bowl parties, and they were always a kind of in a bad mood because they got beat all the time. But um, it was, no, it was, a, it was a great evening. I, you know, a little thing I was talking to Tom earlier today, and mm-hmm. and we were talking about, um, you know, how some people say, oh, I wish you would have played the Dolphins, you know, the, the team that beat us that year. And I was I was thinking, oh, no way. I go, I you know, I, I'd much rather, I'd look, pulling the, play the Patriots all the way, all the way. Cause I knew it'd be an easier game. I mean, 35, I was saying, you know, 35 years after this day of winning the Super Bowl, no one's going to care who we beat. So <laughs> it's true. They, they remember how you beat them though. 46 to right. 10. The game was never in doubt except a, a little early, but then you guys, yeah, a poured it on we were a little, we were a little shaky. Uh, the Patriots had their opportunity early. There's no question about it. But uh, I eventually, I mean, it, it was over by halftime. The, the game was yeah. over by halftime. Everyone knew the best team won when all was said and done. All right, now I'm going to ask you, Jay Hilkenberg, the toughest question of the night. What do you think is going to happen in a couple of weeks, Super Bowl 55, Bucks chiefs Man, it's going to be a great one. I mean, that's Tom Brady is an amazing amazing quarterback um what he has done here but i i just i i think um Tampa, i i'm really impressed with their defense how aggressive they were how 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 they attacked green bay's offense they attacked the receivers i think that's got to be the way you play the packers from now on but i i think they if their safeties aren't healthy i just think kansas city has just too much i i just think um there's too much speed on that offense. Too, too many weapons. Mahomes is too much. I, I, I think uh, I, I think Kansas City is going to pull it out. All right. I think there are going to be a lot of people that agree with you. Although I just find myself saying I can't go against Tom Brady because every right. time you count him out, he finds a way to make something happen. Even though ultimately, if the Buccaneers win that game, I think we'll be talking about what Todd Bowles and that defense did more so than Brady because of how good and explosive that Chiefs offense is. Yeah, it is amazing. There's something to watch. Uh, Tyreek Hill is, adds a whole different dimension to, to the football field when he's out there. He's, he's an incredible athlete to watch. Thank you so much. This was a blast uh, sharing some memories from the 85 season. And by the way, on those text messages that you guys uh, were sharing, your, your teammates, how do you not make Richard Dent the MVP? <laughs> Well, I told him if John Madden was doing the game, I would have been the MVP. So, <laughs> yeah, so it's true. Merlin I mean, Olsen, so was a defensive guy. Yeah, good point. Good no, point. No, you're, you're you're right. I mean, it was going to go to a defensive guy, but I, I tell you, just real quick, it, yeah. it is weird playing in a game when all of a sudden uh, there's an MVP awarded afterwards i mean i i think i think everybody on the on the field that day realized that uh that there is a little extra reward just for someone out there so i think i saw some guys really going for some for some uh little uh extra plays which hey which is all good we won 46 to 10 
Yeah, what do you guys always say? Competition brings out the best in everybody. There was competition <laughs> for the MVP, right? It, yeah, I'm telling you, we were the most way. That whole locker room, everybody was just as competitive as everybody else. You know, some guys maybe talked a little bit more than others, but believe me, we had uh, we had a locker room full of competitive guys. And such a big key, I, I think, to success in any sport is having uh, that, that competition. Hilgi, thank you so much. Really appreciate the time. Hopefully we can talk again real soon. Yeah, Zach, thank you. Jay Hilgenberg, seven-time Pro Bowl center, part of the 85 Bears who won their championship Super Bowl 20 35 years ago tonight by beating the Patriots 46-10. to 312-644-6767 is the phone number. I know a lot of you guys want to talk some football with me. We will do that next when we come back. Zach Sageman until 9 o'clock on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. It's Zach Zaidman on 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, Chicago's sports station. Join the fun, 312-644-6767. Just had a great conversation reminiscing about Super Bowl 20 35 years ago tonight. Bears crushed the Patriots 46-10 to win the only Super Bowl in franchise history. And we were reminiscing with Jay Hilgenberg and just listening to him talk about the buildup to that year. And I think you can learn a lot about the way that team was constructed. If you're trying to put together one good, solid season in 2021 as the Bears look to rebuild uh, this offseason, it's it's not a complete rebuild. You're just trying to take what, what you have that you like add to it, make it a little bit better, and put yourself in a position where you can make the playoffs next year and and perhaps win a game in the playoffs, and then who knows what can happen. But I know that if you look at Championship Sunday this past week, right, and you see the Bucks and you see the Packers, and then you see the Chiefs and the Bills, you look at the Bears, and you know what you watch this season. They look like they are years behind those ball clubs. And in reality, that's probably true. But... I think we've also seen some examples of teams that don't have that kind of firepower that have been able to go pretty deep in the playoffs. And you got to be realistic in terms of what you've got. And I I think the blueprint for the Bears this offseason heading into the 2021 season should be the following. Not Championship Sunday this year. Championship Sunday last year, when Tennessee was able to make it to the AFC Championship game, when San Francisco was able to make it to the Super Bowl. Those are teams that do not have star all-time quarterbacks. Those are teams that did not have quarterbacks that wow you every time they take a snap. Those are teams that you knew would run the ball from the jump, And they were able, even though you knew it, to run the ball successfully from the jump. Just like the 85 Bears did not wow you with their passing game. You knew they were going to run the ball. You knew they were committed to that running game. And even though you knew they were going to try to run the ball and committed to that running game, they still ran the ball down your throat. They had arguably the most dominant defense we've ever seen in a single season in NFL history for a championship squad. This current Bears team 
does not have that kind of a dominant defense. But this Bears defense is a defense that, when it's right, should be ranked in the top 10, should be dynamic for 2021 if everyone's healthy and you put these players in a position to succeed. And you complement that defense with smart offense. No one will ever accuse the Bears of being able to be explosive on offense. And it is silly to believe that in one offseason where you might not have full practices like you would in a normal season, that you can suddenly build an explosive offense. But I think you can do a much better job of building an offense that complements what the Bears do well defensively and on special teams. It shouldn't be that hard. Figure out what you are and do the best you can this offseason to put together a team that can complement that. That's it. That's the lesson. And you heard Jay Hilgenberg say it. There have been a lot of teams that have had success over the years in the NFL running the ball. Now, do I think that ultimately you can sustain a high level of success without having a terrific quarterback? Absolutely not. And that's the reason the Bears only won in 85 and were not able to win multiple championships despite having some all-time greats on both sides of the ball. And it's the reason you didn't see Tennessee back rolling deep into the playoffs this year, and it's the reason you didn't see San Francisco back rolling into the playoffs deep this year. So to me, kind of what I'd take a look at is what's it's the easiest way you can maximize the talent that you have. So ideally, you coach your guys up better because there's a lot of young talent that I think you can get more out of. Montgomery, the offensive lineman, Mooney, Komet. Defensively, I mean, you know all the young guys that can get better. The problem is you don't want to squander the greatness of the older guys who've been banged up the last couple of years. That's your best hope for putting together a chance in 2021. Let's take a break. A weird thing happened when it came to baseball's Hall of Fame vote today. We'll explain next. Zach Saveman with you until 9 o'clock on Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score. For the first time since 2013 and the ninth time since voting began in 1936, no candidate reached the necessary 75% threshold for election. Kurt Schilling led the group with votes on 71.1% of ballots cast, finishing just 16 votes short of election. Wow, that is the Baseball Hall of Fame president, Tim Mead, earlier this evening on MLB Network. So what that means is for the first time since 1960, the membership of the National Baseball Hall of Fame will remain as is. No one new is coming in. Schilling, by the way, I don't know if you heard about this. So after that announcement, Schilling, who has uh, rankled, I guess, some voters with his views on life and politics, 
not necessarily with the stuff he did during his playing days. Schilling posted a lengthy letter to the Hall of Fame that he posted on Facebook and asked to be removed from the writer's ballot next year. Here's part of it. Quote, I will not participate in the final year of voting. I am requesting to be removed from the ballot. I'll defer to the Veterans Committee and men whose opinions actually matter and who are in a position to actually judge a player. I don't think I'm a Hall of Famer, as I've often stated, but if former players think I am, then I'll accept that with honor. And the Hall of Fame board chairman said in a statement that the board is going to consider the request at their next meeting. Schilling had seen his vote climb from 45% in 2017 to 70% last year. Historically, most players who reach the 70% level eventually get enough support to end up in the Hall of Fame. But, of course, Schilling's had uh, a lot that he said that's, uh, that's rankled uh, the people who end up voting. And I think that's hurt his support for becoming a Hall of Famer. You know, I happen to agree with Schilling that I don't think, if you just based it on what he did throughout his regular season career, he's probably not a Hall of Famer. But I don't think you can ignore the incredible impact he had as a postseason pitcher, and that puts him in the running. Now, the the bigger thing that I look at is, forget about Schilling. The all-time home run leader, Barry Bonds, got 62% of the vote, and Roger Clemens, who won 354 games in his career, got 62% in the voting. And both Clemens and Bonds have one more year where they'll be eligible on the ballot. You get 10 shots at enshrinement via the writers before moving on to consideration by one of the Hall of Fame's various veteran committees. So what do you do? Because if you go strictly off the numbers, Barry Bonds is a Hall of Famer. Roger Clemens is a Hall of Famer. And next year, entering the ballot for the first time is Alex Rodriguez and David Ortiz. And those guys, based on the numbers, are Hall of Famers. Now, all of them played and benefited from the PED era. So what do you do? Because I think I I can guarantee you right now David Ortiz will be voted in next season. And he will be a Hall of Famer. Is that fair to Barry Bonds? Is it fair to Roger Clemens? Is it fair to Alex Rodriguez? And you and I both know that in the Hall of Fame right now, there have been players voted in over the last few years that I'm sure also partook in the PED era. So 
how do you resolve this issue? What's fair? And I get that a lot of the writers don't want to see guys who were such blatant abusers of the performance-enhancing drugs during baseball's steroid era make it to the Hall of Fame when they assaulted the record books and then be able to profit from being Hall of Famers. It's the reason that Pete Rose isn't in the Hall of Fame, although everyone knows it's a documented fact. He is baseball's all-time hit king. You know, when I first started in the business a few years back, Pete Rose had a radio show on a national network. And one of my first jobs was being his update anchor uh, based out of Las Vegas. And Pete's a brilliant baseball guy. There's a lot that people don't like about him, and I get it. There's a lot that I don't like about what he did. The lying. The lying. The fact that he gambled and everyone knows you can't do that. But you can't take away the fact that this guy was a Hall of Famer based on what he did. Just like you can't take the fact away that Barry Bonds was a Hall of Famer based on production. That Roger Clemens is a Hall of Famer based on production. That Alex Rodriguez is a Hall of Famer based on production, even though you may not like the guy or any of those guys because they lied and because they cheated. In a sport where the majority of players were cheating and assaulting the record books, because of it. I think ultimately what will happen is they may not be alive, but eventually they will be in the Hall of Fame. Because I, I think you have to account for what transpired during this era. And you can't just say when you, you don't have you don't have proof about some of the guys that are already in that may have used PEDs. You can't just say that they're the only ones that did it because their numbers were so astronomical. And I think what will happen is they will not be able to profit from being Hall of Famers, but eventually they'll be in. And what the Hall of Fame should do is create a special section for what's been documented as the steroid era. And let people know. These guys put up cartoonish numbers in an era where it was like the wild, wild west in terms of being able to take the performance-enhancing drugs without testing and all that kind of stuff. And that, that's why they were able to put up those numbers. Isn't that the fair way to handle it? And I think ultimately that's what's going to happen where you don't want these guys to profit. But see, next year, we both know David Ortiz because he was the player. When you think of the Red Sox ending the curse and going on to their run of multiple championships, the number one player you think of, the man who embodied everything about what those teams were about, 
It's David Ortiz. He is as popular a sports figure in New England this side of Tom Brady, this side of Bill Russell, this side of Larry Bird. What he did is remarkable. And that's why he'll get in, because he was popular. But he's also been accused of using some performance-enhancing drugs. So the question becomes, why is he going to be treated differently than Bonds and Clemens in particular? And then we'll get to, to A-Rod. I have less sympathy for A-Rod because once they started testing, he got busted big time. But I, I think this is a dilemma that the writers are going to face. I mean, they've been facing it for a while, but I think it's going to come to a head next season. And if you put Ortiz in with some of the other guys that are already in, then you can't deny Bonds and you can't deny Clemens. Again, the shilling thing's a little bit harder because it's kind of like a borderline case, just off, again, off the numbers. Forget about the type of human being he is, just off the numbers. So I, I, don't, I don't have much sympathy for him either. But with Bonds and Clemens, it's a documented fact that those guys were Hall of Famers before they even started using and just assaulted the record books. They were great players. They would have made the Hall of Fame without it. So that's just my personal opinion. I don't think you can say that certain guys deserve to get in because they, they were nicer. Like if Barry Bonds was friendlier, he'd be in. If Roger Clemens was friendlier, he'd be in. And the proof of that is going to come a year from now when David Ortiz gets in. Because he wasn't as great as Bonds and Clemens individually, although he was pretty darn good. But what he did for his teams and what he meant for the history of baseball because of the importance of the Red Sox breaking the curse and then going on to win multiple championships. Being the leader that he was, being the great ambassador to the game, he will be rewarded for that, even though there's the same kind of stink, suspicion, whatever you want to call it, when it comes to Ortiz as the other greats that I just talked about. So basically, we just kicked the can on this controversy one more year, and then everything comes to a head, in my opinion. By the way, coming up next on The Score, we've got Score Replay, which is a collection of the best interviews that you heard throughout the day here on Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score. Mike Rankin, who served as the executive producer of this fine show tonight and helped us blast through the speakers of your radio will be the man who leads you into and out of the great interviews. And there were some, uh, some big time interviews that we had on the score today. And I hope that you stick around and listen to it. It's stuff you will not want to miss with Mike Rankin coming up tomorrow, by the way, 
We've got a special treat for you here on Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score, in the evening. See, the Bulls were supposed to play the Grizzlies, and that game was canceled. So tomorrow night, you're still going to hear Chuck Swirsky right here on The Score. But you're going to hear him, and, and for those of you that are a little bit older, you'll get what I mean. You're going to hear the old Swirsk going back to his roots as a talk show host. Got a special program tomorrow beginning at 6 o'clock, and I can't wait to hear that. That'll be a lot of fun uh, because Chuck is as opinionated as they come and he's got so much knowledge and so much perspective when it comes to all the teams in our city. And if I'm right, now I, I was telling Hilgi, I, I was old enough to watch the game. I didn't listen to the game, Super Bowl 20, 35 years ago tonight. But I believe Chuck Swirsky, and maybe you guys can call him up tomorrow at 312-644-6767 and ask him about it. But I believe 35 years ago tonight, Chuck Swirsky was the man conducting the pregame and the postgame on the radio as the Bears won their only Super Bowl. And to all you negative Bear fans out there, I get it. You have every right to be upset and demand more of the Bears heading into 2021. Because the last couple of years, it's been disappointing, you know, especially after the playoff run in 2018. But don't take it out on the 1985 group. Always appreciate that. It's one of the great moments in sports history, not just in this great city, but across America. It's one of the most iconic champions of all time. I'm Zach Saban. Got a lot of people to thank. Brad Biggs, Peter Bukowski, Matt Derry, and Jay Hilgerberg, and most importantly, you for listening tonight. I'll be back Friday, 6 o'clock, right here on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.